0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome to the 160th episode of Reverse Vet Radio. I'm Andy Ryan.
1: And I'm Toby Chad. Happy
0: 74th birthday to Lawrence Rowe, the West Indian batter who managed to be a stylist stroke maker despite eye trouble and a grass allergy. Welcome to the podcast that is always happiest with the odds stacked against us.
1: And you can help us with our odds. Give us a 160th episode birthday present by leaving us a review over on um, iTunes or indeed wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get us over on Spotify podcasts, um sure there are many other reputable platforms that that stock our wares um, leave us a review uh, we always love to hear from you um in this episode what are we going to be talking about we're going to be talking about the uh, nawab of Pataldi's um, 75 played under under um, considerable um what's the word hard impediment impediment gosh this is going to be a good episode isn't it um and we're also going to be reviewing ben stokes phoenix from the ashes a uh a new-ish documentary from uh, amazon uh, amazon prime now um Andy you've been a bit under the weather
0: well I, I think generally it's been traditional at this time of year particularly in the UK for everyone to have a cold and we were sort of passing it around the, the family um, and I the sort of day after boxing day retreated to bed with this um, very good found... timing if
1: you ask me just after all the presents have been opened and the washing up is left to do
0: and, and crucially all, all the food has been consumed by that point and um, the
1: cricket is on
0: Exactly and I found solace in the commentary and this is but by the way sort of credit to the BBC and the ABC that they seem to have set up some sort of like right swap thing so you can listen to the ABC commentary uh, on the BBC which is very nice and having a sort of you know that kind of like slightly feverish sleep you have when you've got a bad Mm. cold where you sort of drift in and you drift out my companion were events uh, in Melbourne. And it was proof as ever that cricket commentary can deliver in, in all situations, really. It's a, it's a wonderful companion. It partly helps by the fact that you can drift in and out, can't you? You can sort of time travel very comfortably. So I sort of listen to Alex Carey making his 50. Mm-hmm. I nod off for a bit, wake up, and he's celebrating his century. Um, I I The Test series as a whole uh, was a rather miserable thing for a, a series that you know, was famously really damp mm-hmm. squib. Um, so you sort of found your entertainment where you could Um, in my ill state my main obsession was Cameron Green's injured finger you know how long could this man keep batting particularly when he didn't really seemingly need to keep batting but there there was something very very sort of Australian in, in that um and the the other thing about it and, and this is obviously one of the many joys of uh cricket commentary is just hearing the noise and sound of the mcg um sitting there feeling ill on a sort of cold uh cold british winter night um you f- you take a sort of vicarious pleasure in it all you feel like you're almost there part of the crowd mm-hmm. um so yes despite the mediocrous mediocrity of the cricket Um, the commentary was still very well
1: so listening to abc grandstand did that um were there any immediate and obvious differences that jumped out at you between that and the tms kind of style or content of of commentary
0: yeah I, i i mean i really really enjoyed it um and i felt like for both good and bad it felt like a slightly less up-to-date version. It felt like TMS maybe a few years ago. Um, And so I I felt like perhaps TMS has done a slightly better job of um, kind of expanding kind of the range of voices they've got on. And, And perhaps also TMS has done a slightly better job at being willing to dig into actual analysis of the game, sort of really get into, into sort of the weeds a bit. Um, but, but I don't want to come across as too negative because actually it, it was still a very, very enjoyable listen and it, and it still had that lovely kind of companionable quality yeah. that you and want to it, And it's very kind of
1: distinctively Australian as well yes you know not you're aware that of course you're watching the Australian team but you're also very aware that the commentary is Australian just one quick thing because I was listening to to that just this afternoon the last day of the um, Sydney test and indeed what an awful series it's it's been Um, but uh, listening to Alison Mitchell um, borrowed from TMS for the sake of this this series and just reflecting on what actually what an incredible commentator she is and that when you think of people who might be a successor to jonathan agnew in that kind of um you know sort of f- almost mm. figurehead role as it were for um something like um tms someone like alison mitchell this this really feels like she might actually step up and do something like that Just yeah. struck me as i was listening to the listening to the to, to Stand this afternoon
0: yeah and and i think that again comes back to this challenge that both i guess the abc and tms have is like you you have to keep a sort of production line it makes it sound a bit mechanical but you have to keep trying new voices because you Mm. do need to have the you know the next uh your next um uh kind of main host um lined up away away from a said a disappointing series You've been back on the cricket pitch,
1: so yeah. Actually, inspired by going to, I, I managed to get to a day of the, the second day of the of the Sydney Test. It was freezing and as windy as anything, and <laughs> I went with went with my wife, who is not a cricket lover, but she very gamely sat sat there with my jumper on, reading a book for the whole for the whole day, and that was that was quite fun and in and of itself. But I actually managed to get out on the cricket pitch myself earlier today, and God, I can tell you, I am in pain at the moment. Like bits of my body that I had forgotten kind of existed and now hurting my knees all over the place my fingers bizarrely hurt for some reason i don't really know i don't i don't really know why i feel like i've been run over by a bus um <laughs> anyway it was a it was a fun game the first i played for about 18 months um we chased about 160 off, off 20 overs um and uh well didn't chase 160 off 20 overs actually we fell short by about 15 runs but the the moment there was a particular moment which kind of lingered in my memory which was um when we were I, i was i was called up to bowl i don't bowl much i bowl kind of military medium um and I was called up to bowl in about the twelfth over, facing a very well-set batsman who promptly hit me for, I think it was four six six six. Um, all of them more painfully, all of them onto a railway line, whereby in order to collect the ball, someone has to go around quite a long way around the fence, and so there's kind of a five-minute gap between each of the balls, which kind of makes you feel even worse. You just want to get it over by by that point. Um, the silver lining was that you, the rules are that you have to retire on um on fifty. So for the for the last and their five balls. Well, this is the last man stands competition um 20 20 over competition um, and their five ball overs so for the last ball of the over I got to face a new batsman and I thought well look actually all of the other balls in my defense I would of course say this weren't bad balls and I thought well look if I put another one to a new batsman in the same spot at least I'm not going to be hit for six so I put the next ball in the same in the same spot Outside off, you know what I think is in a kind of you know wideish corridor, but in a in in the corridor nevertheless, and the umpire promptly calls it promptly calls it <laughs> wide. Now having just been hit for however many, I haven't actually totted up twenty two runs off my first four balls. I got a bit pissed off at this, and I did turn around and I said to the umpire, "I just cannot see." Can you just explain to me how that is? I cannot see oh, how dissent that is. On the cricket well, well, field. And it was not. It was. It was. It was very much a rhetorical question when I when I when I asked that question, and I had to just kind of stop myself because um, I realised that I was. I mean, I wasn't seeing red, but I was a bit irritated, and I sort of had to stop myself and realise no 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 he's called a wide. It's a wide. That's that. That's the be all and end all of it. And I was kind of reflecting on the fact after that that, having not played for eighteen months, yes, my kind of body was. I was physically not up to it but I think there's actually something about being on the cricket pitch and kind of exercising that muscle of patience and Uh, that just that kind of curious relationship with an umpire that you have when you're playing that possibly lapses when you haven't played for for a year and a half particularly when you've been watching a lot of cricket and of course when you're watching a lot of cricket you can you know you can kind of swear at the umpire as much as you like and oh my god that was a ridiculous decision and how the hell did they ever think that but you have to kind of switch when you're on the on the pitch to actually seeing the umpire in a very different way and I'd never sort of quite realized that until today when I caught myself you know doing something that I wouldn't wouldn't like to see myself doing
0: i think there's also something to do with bowling experience i mean they always often say mm-hmm. with sort of great um spin bowlers in particular that one thing you've just got to become kind of mentally adjusted to is the fact that you will get hit yep. you know you it's the nature of the, oh, the I've, game i've had lots of chance to get mentally adjusted yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I but i think sometimes if you don't bowl very often I, i've suffered the similar fate to you which is that if you're more of a sort of um how is a polite way of putting it sort of third change bowler mm, mm. you often only get turned to in the situation when a batsman yes. is well set yes, exactly. and you're like oh great thanks give, yep. give me the ball now when none of the other bowlers really fancy it yep. and then it's so a genius
1: it's- captaincy decision if they hold out to you know deep mid wicket or to cow corner and it's kind of you get you get none of the credit and all of the all of the downside the
0: the wides thing more generally i've always found such a nightmare in village cricket because you you just need at some point it's something that i think the captains would do well sort of talk about at the start because you just need a bit of a consensus because what, what tends to arouse the worst ill feeling is when team a umpires and is very generous and sort of says oh look it's you know sunday cricket we'll let a few go and suddenly team b umpires yes. and sort of goes into test match mode and and, 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 yep. and everyone yep. not surprisingly kind of resents this
1: just one last thought on the back of that there's been interesting to come out of this test series and um, the australia south africa test series is all of these decisions around catches being being mm. grounded you know there have been three or four catches I think just in the Sydney test that have looked as if very much looked out but not on not on replay um, and I think it's interesting to see how this develops in terms of debate debate around DRS because for a while we've thought our DRS is the Holy Grail in terms of you know adding a bit of objectivity to this but clearly this is an area that needs to be um, needs to be looked at not that DRS would have helped me today. <laughs> From the archives, and in this episode of Reverse Reps Radio, Andy is going to be telling us about quotes an innings played with one eye and one leg. This is the Nawab of Pataudi's seventy-five.
0: So we're going back fifty-five years to December nineteen sixty-seven, and we're in Australia. Um, We're going to take a brief political digression because it's a month with a strange significance in Australian history. On the 17th of that month, Prime Minister Harold Holt went for a swim and vanished. Uh, there were conspiracy theories of CIA assassination, or even collection by a Chinese submarine, which which just sounds the most ludicrously elaborate way to defect to China. But there you go. Um, the The truth is likely to be the sad, simple one that that Holt drowned in rough conditions. And, and
1: we shouldn't get dragged down this, but I think you've actually driven past the beach that this that this happened on. I think it's down on the Great Ocean Road in, in Victoria. And when you were in Australia whenever it was, five or six years ago, I think we drove past there, Um, unbeknownst that it was the place of the sad demise of Harold Holt. Anyway, back to the Nawab of Patadi.
0: Oh, interesting. I, I was actually having a look at it on, on, on the map as part of my, my extensive research. Um, so, yeah, sorry, we, we won't go too down that rabbit hole. But anyway, it's, our story starts only 13 days later on December the 30th, where India were playing Australia in the second test at the MCG. The teams had only had one day off after the first test, which I found a little surprising. Yeah. Um, and Australia had completed a comfortable... Back then. That They were indeed, and Australia had completed a comfortable but not overwhelming victory in that first test by 146 runs. India's captain and sort of the, uh, the hero of ARA from the archives today was the Nawab of Pataudi. Um, Pataudi is a sort of small princely state near Delhi, and the position of Nawab was inherited, although by this point it was pretty much ceremonial. And it was a cricketing as well as a princely dynasty. So his father is also obviously the Nawab of Pataudi. The famous He's the only one. player... Yeah well actually I think that's competitive isn't it? Who, who's the more famous yeah. one? They're both pretty famous but his father is the only player and I guess likely to remain the only player to have represented both England and India in test cricket and was also a captain of India so we'll have to do it from the archives on him at some point point. and the Pataudi trophy is still awarded for whoever wins the England India test series when it's in England. Now, Pataudi Jr. is still judged as one of the great Indian captains because I think there's a view that he was the first captain who really made them competitive with their test peers. I mean, India still was certainly losing a lot more than they won, but they were competing. Um, in 1967, he was just 26, but had already been in the job for five years, which I think gives you a sense of how he'd been sort of earmarked
1: for leadership pretty early. Do you have a sense of uh, what what it was that made him a, a- great or at least what it was about him that, that made India into a competitive team was it simply that his performances were so good or was he a, was he a kind of brilliant captain who managed to through the strength of his captaincy to raise the team or was it just that his performances were so mm. good that they kind of raised the team
0: so really it's a really interesting question from from what i've read a lot of it seemed to focus on an attempt to bring a more professional approach mm. and basically to be a lot more demanding of the players and and i know this sounds a bit wishy-washy but i think just to try to create an ethos where they saw themselves as an an e- who could win test matches I think um and you can probably point to most um test teams when they start playing um I think there was an inferiority complex you know and I I think a lot of his success was about convincing India that the the Indian team that they could absolutely um that they should see themselves as a as a genuine competitor with Mm -hmm. these other with these other nations um now, as well as that sort of leadership challenge, he had, had had to face sort of extreme personal challenge. A car accident in 1961 had left Batali with only his left eye working properly and double vision. And to get an idea about, about how bad this double vision was, he wrote about struggling to pour water into a glass. So he'd try to pour water into a glass and think and that there was another it. glass next to it and just miss it. And you think about... Which is you know, ideal few sports, for test batting. Well, I was going to say, I mean, few sports probably rely on eyesight quite like cricket does. But somehow Pataudi managed to learn to bat with this. And a test average of almost 35 suggests he managed pretty remarkably. Although I think that there's sort of a consensus among um, particularly Indian cricket writers that he could have done so much more without without the injury. It also
1: speaks to his endurance to actually want to carry on playing the game. For most people, if you said you've got double vision, you just go, well, clearly being a cricketer is not a thing I'm going to do. But actually, that yeah. endurance from there, because it must have been taken a lot of hard work to actually learn how to bat properly from that from that point as well. So he was obviously quite a, a kind of steely character.
0: I, I think exactly endurance and also just a willingness to adapt. I think as well see, you know he he had to make decisions about which shots he really could and couldn't play given the double vision. <laughs> Um, here at the MCG he wins the toss the pitch was green, the clouds were great but India had limited seam bowling and Pataudi wanted their spinners to have use of a fourth innings pitch so he chose to bat. Um, th- this may come back to your question about what made him a successful captain. Um, there was certainly courage here. Um, j- just before we condemn his decision it's worth noting that Wisden says that the Australian captain Bob Simpson claimed he also would have batted mm. so perhaps it wasn't quite as mad a decision as it as it sounds. Um, India, however, do not repay his courageous decision. They make an awful start, sliding to 25 for five. None of the top four get beyond single figures. And at number seven comes the captain. He's batting quite low in the order um, because he's still recovering from a hamstring injury which had forced him to miss the first test. Um, So he actually comes in needing a runner. Um, and he's struggling to play front foot shots and this is where the Times of India description comes from an innings played with one eye and one leg. So how did he do? Wisden says he survived a few difficult chances in his early stages but these slices of luck were not counted against him so great was the admiration for his batting. Apparently, he was playing positively, looking to lift the ball over the inner circle. And the Australian batter, Lindsay Hassett, reportedly said, that's the way Bradman used to attack Mm. the bowling. So, high praise indeed. Um, Jack Fingleton described it as a glorious innings, taking the bowling by the scruff. But Fingleton's also keen to stress the intelligence with which Pataudi batted. So this wasn't a hopeful slog. Um, and that is reflected by the fact that the strike rate is a sort of steady rather than spectacular 39. It
1: is one of those instances where it's kind of difficult to know how to pace the innings. You know, when you're, what was it, five down already, you're coming five for 25, you yeah. presumably don't have a whole lot of batting to come off. Presumably mm. there is some you know temptation to well you're always going to be caught in two minds about whether you just stick around or whether you you try to make um make some hay while the sun shines although it's not really shining anymore is it um and so it's that seems kind of a remarkable thing as well in terms of his working out how to pace that
0: it is isn't it it's that classic challenge of um you know, counter attacking but not throwing your wicket away. Um, and, and I think what makes this innings one that has perhaps been seen as, you know, has been seen as one of the great Indian Test innings was the way he adapted to the circumstances. So, with his hamstring restricting him from playing front foot shots, he had to play off the back foot. This included hooking, which you can imagine is particularly courageous given his, um, the issue with his sight because, you know, your hooking ball's kind of off your face. Yeah. Um, and what I find really intriguing here is you know if you think of the clash between bat and ball you often have the fact that you know the batsman c- the batter can respond to what the bowler's is doing if you know that the batter can't get forward then that gives the yeah. bowlers a huge advantage yeah. and yet despite that um the Australians still you know struggled to dismiss him
1: well and on, on a green pitch on a grade A presumably therefore a day when the ball's swinging as well getting forwards is even getting traps on the mm-hmm. crease is the last thing you want to happen to you yeah actually. you want to be able to get those big strides and to negate some of that to negate some of that swing and some of the impact of the pitch too
0: well and, and I do wonder in some ways when we reflect on this that this is sort of the quality of many of the best innings isn't it it's that ability to adapt to circumstances whether it be not just the pitch but in this case is you know his own his own body letting him mm-hmm. down Um, He finally fell, caught behind for 75 and India were all out for 175. Remarkably, Pataldi did it all over again in the second innings. Um, he hit 85 with 12 fours. Um, India sadly fell just short, four runs short of avoiding an innings defeat. I'm not entirely sure why, but in the sort of um, descriptions of this game, it's very much the first innings that gets the plaudits, um, maybe because of the specifically difficult circumstances around, you know, coming in at 25 for five. But But clearly this was a real effort in the second innings as well.
1: Going back to what you were saying about his sense of pride you do get a real sense of kind of pride the sense that that pride might have been um uh you know the kind of um driving force behind his desire to to stick around because clearly you know he would have known particularly during that second innings fairly early on that that you know that the, that the game was up but that desire not to be humiliated and desperately to try and get past that mark of being um beaten by an innings presumably was a yeah was a big driving force
0: I think so. And I think also in that first innings, particularly the fact that he had he had made the decision to bat. And I think that there probably yeah, there's so probably true. always a moment as a captain where, yeah, you, where think, you think, oh, oh, God, you know, <laughs> I, I made this decision. I better try and get us out of it. So, um, yeah, the, it's an innings that you kind of have to remember through the descriptions because there isn't footage available. There's there's some very limited YouTube footage available of some of Pataldi's other innings, but not as far as I could see of this one. <laughs> Um, but it it uh, deserves to be remembered with a dodgy pitch, lively bowling a disappearing top order, double vision and an injured hamstring um, Pataudi still wouldn't be denied To the review and for this episode we've been watching Ben Stokes' Phoenix from the Ashes it was released in August last year it was made for Amazon Prime directed by Chris Grubb and Luke Mellows who've got a series of sporting documentaries behind them the film director, Sam Mendes, does the main interview with Stokes and is the host of the documentary. It's the story of Ben Stokes' career right up to the point when he takes the England test captaincy and the official description of the film touts it as a refreshingly honest film about an extraordinary cricketer. Now, Stokes' Phoenix from the Ashes sort of follows in a line of Amazon films which we've reviewed, you know, looked at the test, for example, and the Warn film about Shane Warren. Um,
1: how do you think it compares with those um i have to admit i did i did roll my eyes when you suggested that we, that we watch this new documentary and then it's I always to, a good start isn't it and, and and then um realized that i could actually just reactivate my free amazon prime document um, and <laughs> uh, uh, access for another few days in order to watch it which made it all okay um y- yes it, it does very much follow in that um, and i think they've been doing it for other but other sports as well. These kind of focuses on particular individuals or particular teams, as you say, the, the test, the, you know, the Australian test team post um, sandpaper gate, um, which was pretty, pretty stultifying really, wasn't it? Um, And they've got another series of that out. Um, God help us. Um, and then the Shane Warne um, documentary, which was just kind of pure hagiography. Now I didn't actually feel that this was as, purely hagiographic if that's the right word as the Shane Warren. I think I got slightly more out of it than that I think I came mm. away from it feeling I knew more about Ben Stokes but I think that's because with Shane Warne I've just read so much about him that I feel like that's all there whereas with Ben Stokes I haven't I've never read a biography or an autobiography of, of Stokes. Obviously, he's very much a player of our times so and we have read a lot about him. Um, but this, I think, was the first time that I certainly had heard from him in at any length about the period leading up to his sort of infer- enforced break from um Enforced break from, from cricket. One of the things I think that actually makes the film quite successful, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, is the fact that Ben Stokes is not a natural media person. The fact mm. that he doesn't like Shane. Shane Moore was very adept at creating his own kind of image. Um, ben Stokes is, is not like that. And I, th- I felt like that really actually helped the film in a bit, that he is so resistant to hagiography.
0: Yeah, I mean, he admits himself at one point, he says, I'm not much of a talker. And I I always think it's wrong to expect sports people to be brilliantly eloquent. You know, (laughs) why should they be? It's not, it's not the focus of their success. Exactly. Um and I actually think Sam Mendes because I, I was a little bit uh, concerned because when Sam Mendes starts he sort of talks about how much he admires Stokes and I think oh god you know he's just going to be a bit of a fanboy here but actually I think Sam Mendes does a decent job of probing. I, I I don't know if I'm in quite the same place as you on it in the, I I think ugh, Stokes you're definitely right that he's not a media personality but I think sometimes Mendes kind of probes with a well thought out question. And Stokes either sort of dead bats it or doesn't quite seem to get the question.
1: I also thought, though, in terms of Sam Mendes, that he kind of existed on a, on a sort of slightly different plane to Stokes and was kind of willing, unwilling to go onto Stokes' plane, mm. as it were, in the sense that he would say kind of grand high statements of, oh, don't you think that blah, oh, don't you think that blah, and Stokes would kind of look at him and go, I don't know maybe, and yeah. I kind of feel like it's the interviewer's job actually to communicate with their interviewee in a way that gets them talking, and I just wasn't sure that Mendes did well, that very effectively. And there are a few, you I, know, I think, few times, and they, it's interesting, they left it in, where Mendes basically made a statement about, weren't you feeling this, or didn't you think this, and, so, so that kind of, and they leave it in because it seems that Mendes wanted to make the statement, and it's kind of not really a question.
0: Yeah, and there's a moment near the end, and I forget the yeah. quote, but Mendez says oh I found this bit of advice an actor gave me very useful everyone's and, um, s-
1: work is always a, trying to search for the moment they first realize beauty or something and so it, like, it, it is it's short, very much that. and Stokes short. is like I have no idea what that. <laughs>
0: no you're right I think I think there is some there is something in that actually and there's an interesting question about you know would you've got a better interview I don't know would you've got a better interview with perhaps I mean one person who emerges from this very well I thought was Stuart Broad who only contributes brief but I think he's just entertaining he's just engaging and maybe you would have had a better thing if you got a teammate to interview him Um, yeah yeah, it's interesting interesting whether that would have have brought him out um, would would have brought him out a bit more now obviously
1: at the very centre of this um, documentary is um, you know the the moment when Ben Stokes said I'm going to be taking indefinite leave from playing cricket Um, and I have to say at the time you know, I kind of knew obviously that it was for mental health reasons, but I don't think I kind of read all that much more about it. And this film is very much, very, very focused on um, on that. Mental health is certainly something that's talked about more and more in cricket and in sport and in the world. And 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 um, that, that's a very that's a kind of very positive thing. Was was there much though that you learnt um, about kind of what was going on? I suppose in Stokes's head. Over this period, how much do you think this documentary actually gives us? Well, I I think I have to confess that
0: you know one of the maybe bad side of quantum. Cytoquons- Effect of the greater openness around mental health in sport is we become a bit blasé about it and i remember when mm-hmm. this was announced the break i was a bit like oh yeah yeah fine 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 which sounds terrible but i think it's just it, it's almost become some of this stuff has become a bit run of the mill and hearing from him directly was a really powerful reminder about what, what this actually is what this actually means Going i mean i think yep. the i yeah, I mean, I think we're still guilty of, and I would massively say, put myself under this category, it's very hard to believe that your sporting superheroes are not as superhuman as they appear. And Particularly the idea of Stokes someone ringing like Stokes. up and having a panic attack is Stokes, just, who, who I just find, looks like yeah.
1: the like, ultimate kind of, you know, macho cricketer. It's a, it's a bit like when, I don't know if this is something you were thinking of as well, but, you know, Mark Streskothic, who always seemed a bit... Um, god you have to be so careful obviously but um you know he wasn't like the same like ben stokes just seems like such a sort of like <laughs> solid person you know what i mean um and well, suddenly the to way hear about he conducts him, cry, himself on the pitch the, you know crying down yeah. the phone, it's like wow how do you kind of put put two and two together i thought there was a very interesting anecdote of um uh, when the england physio or the conditioning coach or whatever they're called says to stokes um i know you need to hurt yourself in response to Stokes kind of always going the extra mile in training and training harder than anyone else. And you do kind of wonder when you hear that, though, that is, is there a moment at which that person should think, oh, if I'm saying this about the player, maybe there is something, you know, some mm. kind of tendency there if this person kind of needs to push themselves kind of beyond the pain barrier. I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, but yeah. you do kind of... Um, wonder particularly well, around the bristol thing and the way he w- he was handled through that whatever you think of the bristol kind of case mm-hmm. court case um, that, there's, there's um really sort about. of spat him out you know did the ecb look after him and stokes clearly he talks in the documentary very candidly about the fact that there are suits in quotation mm-hmm. marks in the ecb who he you know still holds an enormous grudge against
0: yeah, I mean, I I really... I think we both discussed that neither of us... And I didn't really enjoy doing this in the film either. Like, no, none of us really want to rehash everything about Bristol. Mm. I think what I would just say really briefly is... I found it uncomfortable, even with all the sort of caveats around that happened this evening... That the way the film and Stokes presented Bristol as sort of with him as the victim... I, I think there is, despite all the broader... broader um, what we now know about the incident... I still think it it betrays maybe a lack of self awareness to not say that you know to not have any regret around what happened. Mm. But but as I said, I d- don't want to go too far down that. But I think there is, this is the risk I think that all these documentaries make when you trade um, yep. when yep. you trade sort of objectivity well, for access.
1: And when you have a um, an interviewer like Sam Mendes who doesn't go so Ben, surely you must regret the moment you punch someone to the floor at 2 a.m outside a nightclub you know someone who's not actually willing to kind of to sort of go there now interestingly on that though and and you mentioned Stuart Broad earlier and his contribution Stuart Broad makes a really interesting point which is about the fact that Bristol kind of made Stuart Broad as made um uh, Ben Stokes in some ways that he kind of came out of that having grown up basically, in realising that he needed to yeah. grow up. And there's, I mean, it's not said directly, but you do kind of wonder, um, things like that often destroy people's chances of being England captain, but you sort of wonder whether actually that made his chance of being... that that kind of made him England captain in a way that it actually formed
0: him I I also think by the way this is why Broad was so good and why I'd very happily watch the Stuart Broad documentary is that he was willing to say that because I think his other England teammates were fine but they were very loyal to him I think Broad was quite brave in the way to say like he grew up because obviously the implication of he grew up is is that he wasn't wasn't grown up before before, which is quite a brave thing to say exactly um
1: he's a cricketer let's talk about the cricket Yeah, let's talk about the creep. Well, no, I think this is
0: sort of linked. I I just think it's sort of an obvious point, but I think one worth making is we, we separate the physical mental health side. And one thing that was brought out towards the end of this film is how much, like, what was affecting Stokes's mental health was actually his physical health. You know, he talks about yeah. the moment when the screw comes out of his finger and suddenly his finger's flexible, he's pain-free. And I think we forget, and it's something that comes out in quite a lot of cricketing biographies and autobiographies, these players hardly ever play pain-free. You know, the nature yeah, of the beast yeah. is such, the nature of the schedule is such that they continue. And it did make me think, how much the time when we're dealing with these mental health problems are we also dealing with the fact that we are flogging these players' bodies to a point where actually, you know, they can't... He, he, Stokes at one point uses the phrase, it was like I was a kid again. You know, yeah. he rediscovered yeah. that joy that presumably gets lost after the 50th game that you've had to play with back pain. Again or, play, yeah.
1: again and again. Um, so in terms of those, those games in the actual cricket that's covered, I mean, there's not a huge... There are a couple of moments of cricket in detail. Mostly, it's about you know the bits we've talked about. There's also extensive um, interviews with Stokes's family and coverage of him going to visit his his dad, who of course then then dies in 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 New Zealand. Um, there is quite a wonderful reliving of the twenty nineteen World Cup final. And possibly my highlight of the entire thing is Mark Wood talking about before he had to go out yeah back, what he was what he was thinking about first looking at the sink at lords and going this thing's way too nice for me to throw up in it i where where, where could i throw up because i'm so nervous and then having this debate with himself about how he walks onto the pits should he walk you know slowly and look determined should he look walk fast in order to warm himself up and to, um uh and to you know be ready to run when he's out there and then they cut to the commentary and it, you know and, it, and he finishes that by saying um and so I decided to run because I was just so shit scared. I just decided to run. I just had to just, like, get out there as quickly as possible. And then it turns, like, switch to the commentary and the commentators from the time were kind of, oh, Mark Wood's running remarkably quickly to the centre of the, the <laughs> of the pitch. But yeah, Mark Wood, always, always good good value. Is, um, this,
0: is this the thing, though, that actually a part of us watches this and says, well, actually, I'd want, you know, much as this is a Ben Stokes film, I actually want more Mark Wood. I want yep, more yep, Stuart Port. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, so
1: true. Um, but were there, were there other bits of the, of the actual cricket that...
0: Um... I mean, you can't go wrong, can you, with the Headingley in the World Cup final? I mean, yeah. the, the producers do a very good job, but I have to say, to some extent, it's like, um, you know, it's shelling peas, isn't it? Yeah. You know, for, for a cricket fan, watching those again is always going to be fun. I mean, I don't want to come across as too grumbly, but... I did think it was odd to show the Carlos Brathwaite over, which is obviously a key mm, part of the Stokes the story. The 20 final. Exactly, and and it, I felt it was odd not to have more of a conversation with Stokes about yeah. it. You know, I thought, you've got all this access to Stokes, you've got all these hours of interview footage. I mean, m- maybe the answer is actually what is there to say, you know? He, he <laughs> but I think the, the director saw it as that.
1: part of the narrative of here are all these shit things that have happened to Stokes that then led to this thing, and one of them, or one of the things that was character-forming, um because he then goes on and talks to, you know, Joffrey Archer of course about um uh in the final at Headingley, like the reason Stokes can give Joffrey Archer the advice is because he's been in the same situation with Carlos Brathwaite in the in the twenty twenty mm-hmm. final, et cetera, et cetera. Um but I, I think I I think I would say this was worth a watch. Yeah, I would, you, I would, would say you, so would you agree? I, I would say so. Look, I think
0: if you're if you're a cricket fan, you'll you'll enjoy it. I, I think <coughs> sorry. I, I I don't want to labour this point while probably slightly labouring this point. I think you just have to enter document uh, the experience of watching a documentary like this or a documentary like the Test with that understanding yep. that this is a this is a deal has been struck here you know ben stokes has traded access to him for a certain narrative and if we're being really honest like the great sporting documentaries don't do that you know the great great sporting documentaries preserve their independence but that doesn't mean i think i completely agree with what you said that like i feel i know ben stokes better as a result of watching this film and ultimately that's a you know pretty good way to measure it
1: and if you want to watch um, new feature film footage of Ben Stokes running up and down and standing on a black sand beach, random um, oh kind of um, Why? montage. Um, what is wrong is, with these
0: filmmakers' is, budgets that they the feel film. we're going to. Oh,
1: this God. is the film for you. I think that might be because of low. It looked like it was a problem brought about by low budget rather than high budget, though. But anyway. Um, so uh, that was, uh, what was it called? Phoenix from the Ashes, um, Ben Stokes documentary on Amazon uh, Prime. Uh, watch it, but with caution. I think is what we'd say. Um, and that was the 160th episode of Reverse Swept Radio.